Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast. This free podcast is made possible through gifts by people like you. Please consider making a donation through the donate button on the website to help us offer unique audio, video, and text-based teachings on the internet and to grow this community library. Michael's teaching bridges the gap between inner healing and social change by synthesizing traditional spiritual teachings with the insights of the West. To learn about Michael's international retreats and workshops, please visit michaelstoneteaching.com. Thank you for your support. Good afternoon. Well, I guess that this is the last of our three days together. Last leg, anyways. Um, for me, it's been a bit of a strange weekend because the first day I was so excited and, and I had uh, so much I wanted to cover. And then the second day, I was ill. And then now we're at the end. And I feel like we haven't started yet. So... Uh, um, I don't know what it's been like for you, but um, I also really wanted to join the picnic last night because uh, sometimes it's nice to leave this space and be able to just talk to everybody and catch up and find out you know, how your pets are doing and everything. And, uh, so I was unable to attend. But hopefully the picnic, it sounds like the picnic went really well. And, uh, I think there were two picnics. Oh. Like, the, like pe- just people met up and ended up just in two separate groups. Oh, wow. Oh, three. I think it was one three. bigger group and one smaller group somewhere else. No, we were the first one. We were the first one. Looking for everybody else. Oh, my God. Oh, three happy people. Let's do it again. That's so Um, the first day I was hoping that I could sort of sketch out um, just enough of a map for how the Diamond Sutra works and what some of the terms are so that you can read it yourself. Um, And the second day yesterday we started to explore Subhuti's question and the Buddha's answer. Now you should also keep in mind, despite what some commentators like Red Pine says, this story is not about the Buddha. Um, This is an invented Buddha. Uh, This is a text that comes many centuries after the Buddha's life. And so um, this is uh, mythology. Uh, The Buddha never did or said any of these things. Um, and, um, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Just like saving all beings is not possible, but it doesn't matter. That's what you do. Some of you might know a great uh, Zen teacher named Bernie Glassman. Uh, he had a stroke this year, and um, uh, he's been very influential. And in, in, in back in the glory days of Center of Gravity, has anybody heard of this place? It was a great, great thing. Um, 
Bernie Glassman came and visited us, and, and we had a great uh, workshop together. Anyways, when he was studying with his teacher, uh, Taizen Maizumi Roshi, um, he was studying koans, and right near the end of his koan curriculum, he had an experience of seeing what he calls the hungry ghosts, which is that no hunger that we have inside of us can ever really be satisfied. This was his insight, that we have hungers in us, but nothing will ever satisfy. Um, so whatever you do to try and satisfy certain hungers, uh, you, just can't, you just can't do it. And I, I think a lot of us know this, right? We've gone down a certain career path, or there's just certain, thing, just certain ways we've tried to ground ourselves, or, or um, uh, be seen, or be heard, or be loved, and, and there's no satisfaction there. No matter how far you go, no matter how much money or, or notoriety or whatever you gain, there isn't anything there at the end of the road. You know, I, I, I feel so much this uh, loss these days of so many people that we love, like uh, Prince, yeah, and... Uh, so many of the celebrities that uh, we lose, like Philip Seymour Hoffman, because of opiates. Like 450 people in Canada already this year dead from fentanyl. It's a lot of people. You know. And I don't know about in Ontario, but where I live in BC, which is the majority of, of where the deaths have happened, um, a lot of the people who have died don't consider themselves drug addicts. But we're taking opiates as a culture um, to numb ourselves, you know. And this is so much the story in celebrity world, too. Because uh, you finally get some notoriety and uh, there's no satisfaction in it. There's no satisfaction in it. And then uh, you need something to, to numb yourself. Especially when you've been working so hard mm -hmm. to have that. And let's face it, I mean, most of the people who go into show business go into it because something's missing you know, that maybe gets satisfied when they're performing. So, uh, <clears throat> anyways, back to Bernie Glassman. Um, Bernie Glassman uh, had this insight that there's these hungers in us that can't be satisfied. And so he decided that he would end homelessness in New York City. <coughs> that, that was his response. He didn't think of it, it just came to him. I'm gonna go back to New York City, to Yonkers, where he comes from, and I'm gonna end homelessness there. And that's what he, he did. He went there and he went to work trying to end homelessness. And if you ask him, how are you going to end homelessness in New York? I have no idea. You can't really end homelessness in New York. But that's his vow. And that's sort of the point of the Diamond Sutra, is sometimes we need something to stretch our imagination so that we can see our life in a grander way and see what's possible in a grander way.
And then the Buddha says to Subhuti, but wait a second, Subhuti. Um, if you're going to go end homelessness, then you also have to end your own homelessness. All the ways you're not at home, all the ways you're impoverished. And not only that, when you go work with homeless populations, you can't get any good work done if they're homeless populations. Because as soon as you other the other, then you've created the split in yourself. And now your heart's fragmented. So that's, it seems, what the Buddha is saying to Subhuti. So what I wanted to add to that yesterday, which I don't know if I was coherent at all yesterday, um, but what I hope I added yesterday was to understand that we live in a very alienated culture. And we don't grow up in the kind of caregiving environment that many traditional, especially indigenous cultures, had at one time, especially at a time when the Diamond Sutra was born, or when a lot of the meditation techniques were created that we practice. And a lot of us have wounds that were set up in the first few years of life that emerge when we sit still. When we sit still, we may not know how to regulate some of our internal emotions, or we may have levels of irritability or frustration that we don't know how to relax into. And so sometimes the first few years of meditation practice is just getting on the cushion and just healing that. And that's why when people say, I just can't sit, I say, it's okay. It's, yes, you can. It's okay. And maybe you need other things. Maybe you need a guided meditation. Maybe you need to let a, a roommate know that you're sitting right now. One of the things I like to do sometimes when I sit is I like to imagine all the people I know who are sitting today. All the practitioners I know who sit. When I sit, we're all sitting together. So that we start to see how compassion is not something that we just act out, but compassion is just what's happening every moment when we arrive here. And there's a wonderful you know, joke in meditation circles, which is what's the most efficient way to get from A to B? Just really be at A. Really be at A. And there's a Zen koan like this that I love so much, which is, um, what is the sound of one hand? You ever heard this one? Sometimes I say, what is the sound of one hand clapping? I don't know who made that up. <laughs> Maybe Deepak Chopra or something. <laughs> but the koan is, what is the sound of one hand? And people take years to understand this koan. But it's actually one of the most simple koans which is, what is the sound of one hand? So what's the sound of one hand? Yes. 
It's whatever's happening right now. Whatever's happening right now, it's the sound of one hand. Birds, volume in the room. So simple. But it's so close that we can't see it. And that's what the Diamond Sutra is trying to say. Your life is like right here, but you can't see it because you've just like put so much stuff on top of it. Or you've, you've um, is opiated a word? Yeah. You've, or you've just opiated your, your life through consumerism or, or whatever to such an extent that you're just, you're just numb to this moment. So, um, I think that um, some of the woundedness that happens for people in the caregiving environment at a young age um, is really a very unarticulated, except in psychology circles, an underarticulated um, form of trauma. Most of us think of trauma as, you know, physical violence or sexual violence, but a lot of the dynamics that, and, and misattunement that happen when we're small become a form of trauma. And one of the characteristics of trauma, of course, that we all know, I think, is a fear. We're scared. It could be scared of stimulus from out there, but it can also be fear of um, stuff going on in here, too. Another aspect of trauma that's um, associated uh, with these dynamics is um, dissociation. It's like just unable to be here because we're splitting off. And, and the third one that I find is most, most relevant for meditators is shame which is, well, then I must be bad. So like fear, the first one I mentioned, shows up as I will never let that happen again. I will never put myself in an environment where this could happen again. And of course, we all know we end up unconsciously doing this. The second dissociation um, is um, splitting. And this third one, shame, is I'm bad. I'm actually, deep down, the shape of me at the core is bad. But it's interesting because the Buddha is saying here in the Diamond Sutra that um, there's no core at the core. So the bad that you've just constructed is a projection onto sand. So sometimes um, one way, one form of compassionate action that we need to take is really simple, which is waking up in the morning and sitting on our cushion when things are really hard. 
and we feel turbulence inside or around us, or we feel unstable, or we feel worked up. And that we do what's necessary to soothe ourselves, to calm down, because very, very quickly, meditators start to see that those mental states change and that they aren't really who we are. And you can learn how to hold them lightly. Did I say that yesterday? Friday. Friday, thank you. I just yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the way I like to think about it is like, you, you, you wanna give your emotions a, a safe place to exist. And you want to be in this kind of upright place. And within that place, you want to give your emotions a really safe space to exist. And to say, it's okay. So you sit in this posture like a mountain, upright, really stable. And then within it, you let go of control. So that you can allow whatever's there to be there. And very slowly, slowly, one of my teachers, Patabi Joyce, this is all he used to say, slowly, slowly, always there. Nobody ever did anything related to that <laughs> task, but slowly, slowly. And slowly, slowly, we do something in, in, in trauma language is called titration, which is you touch your pain and then you go back to your breathing. You go a little closer, oh, and then you go back to your breathing. You touch your irritability, oh, that's enough. And you start learning, like, how close can I get? How far is too far? Am I numbing myself? How, did I just spend this whole time trying to get somewhere else? Trying to escape? So on the outside, someone like might look at you and go, oh wow, they're sitting so still meditating. But like inside, there might be all kinds of stuff you're doing to just like settle in. And that's compassionate practice. Because there's no you that you're helping. You're just dealing with the moment, like the sound of one hand. You're dealing with what's right here. And when you're dealing with what's right here, you can't see a you that you're dealing with. There's no object, because there's no subject. It's not even you that's being compassionate. It's paramita, it's beyond. It's beyond the you that's being compassionate to someone on another shore. And the truth is, all we want is to just be opiated. Is that a word, opiated? Opiated? I don't know what I mean. I just kind of made it up. But we, all, we just want to have everything cut off, have everything numbed out. You know what I mean, right? So just, we just want to numb things out, so it's like enough of life already, right?
I just went to a, a wedding and um, did I tell you that already? Yeah. Oh, God, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I sat during the dinner uh, with a woman who makes the show Girls. Does anybody watch oh, yeah. the show Girls? And I'm like, oh yeah, that, I watch that show sometimes where I just need to like space out and not think about it. And she was like. <laughs> I basically just offended her whole career. But, but we all have that feeling sometimes where we just want to like just space out and like, but, but we also know that deep down that isn't what we really want. What we really want is we want to be connected. We want a, a meaningful sense of connection to our lives, not to be numbed out. And also the numbing out can't really numb you out. So all of this is basically um, a way of reminding you that you need to sit every day. So thank you for coming. <laughs> See you next year.